Hello and welcome to the Goddess Project Podcast side series, Goddess Talks. I'm so very excited to share this side series with you, which are just going to be a few episodes um, that are embedded through the other episodes, the regular episodes of the Goddess Project. And the Goddess Talks will be interviews with other scholars, with other people that are in the field of goddess worship, of the divine feminine, people that I really want to talk uh, to about the goddess. So this series is a little bit selfish and in the sense that it is something that I enjoy doing and that I love doing. And so I'm very, very excited to share it with you guys. And I'm very excited to have these conversations and, you know, widen the circle and of scholars and widen the knowledge that can be shared. Often a lot of scholars that are doing really fantastic work are not on social media or haven't really developed like a YouTube site or other site. And then sometimes they have fantastic social media. And so I really would like to share with everyone some of the people that inspire me and some of the writers that I find intriguing and also that I find their research super intriguing. So welcome to the Goddess Talks series. I hope that you enjoyed the series as much as I enjoy recording it. This week, I had the pleasure of interviewing Mickey Beloy. Mickey Beloy is a healer and writer from New York. She wrote a fantastic book called Conversations with Mother Mary, Loving Wisdom from Her Life to Yours. Mickey spends most of her time uh, in, as a shamanic and ancestral lineage healing practitioner. She sees clients one-on-one, -on -one, she officiates weddings, and provides service for other rites of passages. And it is through her shamanic practices that Mother Mary became a primary ally and teacher for her, much to her own surprise, and was not expected. It seems that, according to Mickey Beloy, that this is exactly the point of this primal and grace-filled spirit that we long associate with the Bible, who is also mother of everything. The Mary she knows is a Mary for everyone, eager to move past the stained glass and plaster statues of institutionalized religion. I absolutely loved our talk <clears throat> about how Mary comes into our lives and particularly about how Mary came into Mickey's life and how this has become a primal force in her work and in her writing and in her development of community. I hope you enjoy this interview. We had a blast filming it. I look forward to seeing what you think. So hello, Mickey. Hi. Welcome to uh, Goddess Talks on the Goddess Project goddess project um so today we're going to talk about your book and we're going to talk about your experience with uh mary mm -hmm. and um i hope that you'll share some of your own sort of personal experiences and maybe spiritual experiences with the divine uh or with the goddess um so would you like to perhaps introduce sort of what you do tell us what you do and tell us a little bit about the book that you wrote Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, by the way. This is really sweet. Um, I am primarily a shamanic, a shamanic healer mm -hmm. and um, also ancestral lineage healer. And, um, and I do a lot of rites of passage and a lot of ritual and um, uh, some classes. I teach a bit, uh, workshops and animism and shamanism and um, essentially 
helping folks connect, you know, connect sometimes with what we might call a divine um, and also with nature, you know, with the rock in your backyard, if that's calling you or the trees or the, you know, the animals and with your ancestors and your own innate uh, intuition and healing capacity. Um, and then sort of through my own personal practice in, uh, in shamanism and shamanic journeying in particular, one of the spirits that kept showing up was Mother Mary. And much to my surprise, because uh, I can't say that I'm a very sort of church-oriented person at this point in my life. So I was um, a little taken aback and questioned it some but she kept showing up. And so that's, that's how the book started was just uh, yeah, the beginning of the relationship with her. Very interesting. Um, I'm interested in a couple of things that you said. One of yeah. the things that popped up was um, what are some of your favorite rituals that you, that you perform? And the mm -hmm. other one is sort of it. And I don't know if you would like to share, but what, how did she come to you at first? Uh, I'm curious about like, what was that experience like? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, to the first question, um, oh, so many things. I mean, every, every healing session is, is a ceremony, you know? So every, every time I'm with a client or with a group of people, it's a ritual, you know, there's, there's, um, if I'm sort of putting that hat on, you know, where I'm, gathering people together for something or i'm calling in some uh some intention then it's ritual and so it's it's very much woven into my my daily life and the way that i am with people um i suppose i could also say you know weddings i appreciate weddings and that's such a lovely thing to be able to do <laughs> you know, just witness people's uh love story and get yeah. kind of dunked in that with them um and to the, the second question, I mean, Mary, I, the, the beginning of the book is the beginnings of, of her um, showing up in my shamanic journeys. And she started out um, as a sort of porcelain statue, kind of like the ones that you see in people's yards sometimes, you know? Yeah. And, um, and it was frustrating because we couldn't communicate with each other because she was she was this sort of concrete thing interesting and then over the course of a few journeys the porcelain cracked and she came out to me as a as a flesh and blood person okay. and so that was sort of the first lesson or the first kind of metaphor of our relationship with her is that she um, it's it's a lot harder for us to connect with each other if we see her as this sort of porcelain doll on a pedestal. Wow. You yeah. know, that's really fascinating as because I grew up Catholic and so Mary played a key role in my life for many, many years, especially in my childhood. And this is the first time that I've thought or I've thought of that, that idea that she had, was always a ceramic or a porcelain or a statue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she was always that way. Um, it's fascinating that you bring that up in the sense that that's sort of a cold stone. There's a block there, perhaps, between uh, for communication. It's really fascinating, actually, that you say that. 
Um, mm. And that she broke that stone in your, in your connection, in your relationship. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's symbolic, I suppose of, uh, you know, again, like if we, if we always put her up on this pedestal, if she's always the sort of stained glass that's kind of removed from us, um, then we lose her earthiness and we forget that she was a human person. Yes. Um, and that is so much of, um, you know, in, in, in my, in my sort of lingo, that's so much of the medicine that she brings is that she knows what it was to be human. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's really wonderful. Um, yeah, that's a really wonderful metaphor. And you say that you were not particularly spiritual, and so do you mean that you were not raised like within the Catholic church or you were not raised with Mary maybe in your household or, uh, and why do you think this particular divinity showed up other, as opposed to others maybe? Well, what's, what would have been the connection? Yeah, I, you know, I think I was always really spiritual, but I wasn't ever um, really sold on the idea of any particular organized religion. And in my childhood, actually, much to my parents' credit, I had the liberty to kind of explore um, because I think they were curious themselves. And so, um, you know, I talk about this in the book, too, that we would talk to the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses and the, you know, we would go to the Baptist church one Sunday just to see what that was all about. Um, and so I, I grew up kind of asking questions and exploring. Um, that said, my family for many generations on both sides has been Catholic. Mm -hmm. And so I think there is a bit of ancestral connection to Mary. I think there's something of Catholicism that gets into the DNA a bit. <laughs> um, and so that could be why, you know, even though I didn't feel a direct connection with her originally, I think, um, you know, so many generations of my family have known her. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, it could be that. I It's a bit of a mystery, I'll be honest. I don't know why her as opposed to someone else. Yeah. And so in your practice, is she is she the primary or is she the only? Like, do you find yourself sort of only using her as a guide or do you find that there are others as well? Well, uh, there are many. Um, certainly my, my ancestors and... Um, and some other some other uh, allies and guides that have met along the way, but in terms of um, kind of divine feminine goddessy types, Mary absolutely is the primary. Um, once in a while, though, she will introduce some others. Like she'll kind of bring them in. Like if we were to have a third guest on this podcast, she'll kind of bring someone else in for a bit. Um, so her mother is one, Anne, and. Uh, yeah, and Mary Magdalene also has, has kind of shown up in the journeys once or twice as well, but it's always with Mary. She kind of uh, makes the introduction for us. That's really interesting um, because I don't know that we talk about, even in Catholicism, but even in Christianity, about the relationship of these three women, you know, so mother, daughter, mother-in-law-ish, right? Mm -hmm. Friend, maybe best friend, who knows? Uh, sister, maybe like as far as a a circle sister, perhaps situation. Um, so that's really interesting because I don't know that we've, perhaps it's something new that we are now 
focusing more on those relationships than traditionally in 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 Christianity. It's it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, if we just think about it in terms of how we relate to each other as as women now, as contemporary women, those relationships are so formative. Right. The relationship with the mother, the mother-in-law, the sister, the chosen family. Yes. Um, you know, there may not always be healthy and vibrant and lovely relationships, but they are impactful no matter what. So, I mean, it follows, I think, that if we just sort of extrapolate backwards in time, that it was still that way. Yes. 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 Wow. Okay. That's very interesting and and exciting too, because it's a, it's a way to bring Mary into modernity a little bit. How do you feel about her virginity and sort of the virgin birth and, and those kind of stories? Um, do they play a role? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so far she has kind of declined to talk about it directly too much i mean maybe she will in the future but um she has alluded to having other children and that jesus was not the first child mm-hmm. um that there was another there was another child with them in bethlehem for instance um so you know for me in my own personal kind of uh, reconciliation between this narrative that we have been told about her and what she's sort of telling me directly. Um, there are sort of two, two streams of thought. And one is that, you know, the, the church patriarchs kind of virginized her. Right. Mm-hmm. For their own reasons, you know, to sort of, um, in order for Jesus to have been with, born without sin, Mary also had to have been born without sin. Right. So, you know, so there's this purity thing. Um, and then on the other hand, there's this, I think, much older idea of, um, and the word is escaping me right now, but of um, virgin, you know, being whole unto herself and being able, and being generative without a sperm like without assistance mm-hmm. this sort of cosmic womb that maybe mary was and is right so she was able to sort of generate this child um in this more kind of mythic way yeah in the greek in the greek tradition there is this concept of parthenogenesis which is that absolutely <laughs> that's what i can remember <laughs> You know, which is like goddess's birth, you know, so Gaia births her consort, right, without the help. And there's this long pre-Greek tradition that uh, goddesses could birth um, without the help of a male consort. And there is even a highly debatable tradition that in the pre-Neolithic, pre-Paleolithic, I don't know, sometime a long time ago, according to believers, that even human women could reproduce uh, other women without the contribution from a man. Now that is much more debatable, um, but I follow a couple of groups in which this debate always comes up, you know, at least once a year, you know, uh, was there a time back in time when it was all women in the beginning, you know, and, and this kind of thing. So 
So that's really interesting because I agree with you. I think that Mary is the modern, and by modern, I mean the most recent sort of parthenogenetic goddess or woman, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and perhaps, yeah, perhaps you're right. Perhaps this concept of parthenogenetics is something that was in our conscious for a long time. Uh, and then sort of adapted by the church as a miracle. I mean, I guess it is a miracle in a sense, but. Uh... <laughs> right, right. A miracle, but with their trademark stamp on it. Yeah, it becomes a patriarchal yeah. miracle uh, yeah. rather than a, a sort of a feminine miracle, a divine feminine miracle. Um, well, yeah, that's, that's, that's really interesting because for me too, when I, I, when I grew up with her as a virgin, I think as, I think as women grow into their womanhood and then perhaps even motherhood, if they have children or, um, if they're caregivers or whatever, I think the concept of eternal virginity for Mary, when I did some of my studies and realized that was probably not realistic, mm -hmm. I had this kind of moment where I was like, does that bother me? You know, does that challenge my faith? You know, yeah. but I think that as a woman, I wasn't, it didn't, it like, it didn't take away her sacredness. Oh, well, right. Like maybe mm -hmm. she didn't have to be a virgin. If she would, didn't do it parthenogenetically, let's say she did it the old fashioned way. So, what? <laughs> you know, um, so I don't know, for some people, it does challenge their faith. Uh, for me, it didn't. So I, I guess I'm wondering, you know, would would it challenge or would it have challenged your your faith or your relationship with her? I think you're saying no. Yeah, I no, I, I have. Um, I'm I feel uh, like I want to be diplomatic for, you know, with the folks for whom that is a challenging concept, you know, like I want to approach that conversation with a lot of care and respect. Um, and I also want to invite some curiosity about it because exactly as you're saying, like, does it make Jesus any less amazing? Right. Right. Um, you know, if Joseph was his father instead or, or whatever, you know, um, and, and for me and my relationship with Mary, it's been so, uh, I don't know, so connective and so, um, I don't know, it, it feels simpatico. You know, like it feels like we can be friendlier and kind of let go of some pretense. Yeah. To say, nope, like she and Joseph were married people. Right. Who have all of the married people things. Right. And um, and so how much more sympathy and comfort and guidance can she offer us? Because she knows exactly what that means. Yes. You know? Yeah. Yes. I think it makes her, I think for me, like I said, when I came to this bridge, you know, um, it, it was a bit, so it was this choice between, you know, do I need a miracle like this in mm -hmm. order to continue thinking of both Jesus and Mary as sort of sacred beings? Um, and I agree with you. I think perhaps knowing the humanity of life actually makes them an even more relatable divinity um, as opposed to let's say divinities that never lived in the human body right mm -hmm. so they just exist you know in their in their god bodies let's say so so i think it does it almost like it it makes it even more i can't think of the word but it rich it enriches the experience um right to have this experience and that divine experience it's 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's how it feels to me. And it is also, um, it's a little trippy. Like it's a little, it's because it's the both and. Yes. And, and that's in some ways uncomfortable to sit with, Yeah. <laughs> you know? And at the same time, um, I think it's, it's maybe part of the point right? because, because what we are acknowledging in Jesus and, and Mary is, is both their divinity and their humanity. Yes. We're acknowledging the death and the life. We're acknowledging, <clears throat> you know, the whole, the whole life cycle yeah. and that there's more than the human life cycle. And if that's true for them, and it's true for all of us in a way. Yes. Um, so we're almost looking like outside to their story as a way to understand the inside of our own story. Yes. And I think you're absolutely right because I think about women who pray to Mary, for example, pregnant women, mothers, a lot of mothers, you know, more mature women. Um, and I think about all like my grandmothers and my mother and everybody that prays to Mary, one of the things that makes her so powerful in their lives is that they feel that she knows their pain, especially around children, mm -hmm. uh, of course, and especially around sort of mothering and or taking care of others or whatever. And so I think that uh, that ties into exactly with what you're saying is that it makes this divine being much more relatable because you feel like, you know, you know, my pain. And so help me sort of, you know, move through this, uh, you know, in the way that you perhaps you have moved through this or, you know, and the loss of a son, for example, right? I don't know that we talk as much about the loss that Mary experienced and, and, and to witness the crucifixion of your son, right? Um, very powerful, very powerful um, for, especially for mothers who have lost a child. Uh, and again, a relatability, that's a human relatability, right? Because I don't know how many gods in the past have lost children. I can't think of a case where a god lost their god child, you know? Um, like, I don't think Zeus loses any of his children or, you know. Not in, yeah, not in a way that seems so visceral. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a section of the book that is dedicated to the journey I had about the crucifixion, um, yes. where she brought me into that memory with her. And um, yeah, the crucifixion itself, but then also the the time in the tomb, like bathing the body and and how do you, you know, I mean, it's inconceivable to me, but to to try to go on with your life after that. Like yes. to eat a meal or try to sleep, yes. um, you know, and uh, remembering too that Jesus was part of this broader community, and so everyone there, everyone in his community was traumatized. Yes, you know, you know and 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 the rage of it all, right? That the injustice of it all, and mm -hmm. the you know the rage. I mean, I don't know if this was part of your experience as far as her anger or if you felt any of her anger as she was taking you through this process um but yeah i would imagine the injustice of it all and the and the and the rage of it all how yeah. do you you know how do you navigate that yeah yeah she um she has talked about that um i think she used the word like the rage of a mad army or something like that this very 
she's a better writer than I am. I say it all the time. <laughs> brilliant writer, but um, um, yeah, I mean, all of all of the feelings that she seemed to have had, and and some that I'm sure I can only just imagine. Mm-hmm. And you know, she is also somehow this. Know if we want to use the word enlightened, but she, you know, she is also this goddess, this sort of archetypal figure who can remember and hold it and also transcend it, or remember and hold it in a way that is metabolized. And so what I love then about your book is the fact that you're that you're taking us on this journey. And so I'm wondering. How do you see people other than coming along for the journey, which is wonderful, which is sort of the process, but mm-hmm. what is, do you think there is, um, did you have a specific goal or did she have a specific goal in the way that this should be received in the, in the way that this may be used as a tool? Like, mm-hmm. how do you, how do you feel? How do you see your readers and how, what would be the ideal for, for readers to, to get out of this? Um, what do you think? Yeah. Ooh, um, you know, I, I think to some extent, I'm a bit along for the ride here. And, you know, I, I wrote the book at Mary's prompting. Um, you know, I could have just kept this all as sort of my own private devotion, but she was encouraging me to, to share and, and open this conversation up. Um, so I'm sort of just taking her lead with that to some extent. I think over and over again, though, in the book and, and in the journey since then, she wants us to know that we're loved. Mm. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, you know, whatever whatever else people might might do if they come, you know, sign up for a program with me or whatever, pass the book along, that's all great. But the, the most important thing, I think, is almost this titration of love, like to just remember over and over again, um, love and connection and, and that she's right there. Mm. Um, that there's a, there's a particular sort of urgency in that message that she's been passing along. Um, I love that. I love that. Also because I find that Mary is one of the most communicative divinities, mm-hmm. right? Like she, re- perhaps, perhaps this is the, the humanity experience as well, but it seems to me that she really connects with, with humans, uh, often women, but children and others. So there's a, she really, there is a, um, I don't know, like she, when you say urgency, it reminds me of how many times she's talked to people in the past, how many times she's reached out to people. So that's really interesting that, that it feels like she's really out there, like almost like, you know, her duty is still to be in contact with humans uh, or humanity Mm -hmm. to continue sharing the message. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which like the words "call your mother" just came to mind. Yeah. You know, like this is, um, like you're never done being a parent. Right. right? So, yeah, yeah, right, and, yeah, and and it's I love that you brought up how many people over the over the centuries 
you know, have, have had contact with her, whether they were believed or not, whether they were sort of verified or not. Um, I don't think she cares so much about <laughs> getting this stamp of approval. She just wants people to know she's there for, for yes. them. Yes. And do you find it interesting that it's her more than Jesus? Um, or do you think that's her sort of intermediary role? It feels, I mean, Jesus, people have said Jesus has showed up for them every now and then, mm -hmm. which, is, which is also good. But I find that her, uh, the multitude of her connection to humans is uh, outweighs, let's say, his. Um, do you think that's a masculine, feminine divinity or divine? Or do you think that's sort of a, why do you think that is, I guess, if you had a theory? That's such an interesting question. And I hadn't ever thought about that before. That's okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sometimes I just like to no, throw them as they come to me, you know. <laughs> it's great. It's great. I, you know, the first, I might have a different answer if I sit with it for a bit, but the first thing that comes to mind um, is, is kind of the expectation. Hmm. I think that, um, you know, we, because even in the Protestant faiths, who don't really focus on Mary, there's still an understanding that, that Jesus is there with you. Like that's just sort of the given. So yeah. I, I wonder if it's like that, that maybe, um, I don't know, uh, um, if you are a Christian, Jesus is there with you. That's, that's how that goes. I see. You I know, see. and so, so it's not talked about in the same way. It doesn't seem to be the, the miracle in the way that visitations from Mary seem to be. Interesting. No, that's, that's a really interesting uh, take. You're right. I hadn't thought of it that way, even myself. Uh, the idea that Jesus is sort of constant with you. So then perhaps he doesn't have to literally show up for you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Where, like where, where Mary maybe takes more of a, yeah, like a mother role, more like, hey, hello. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we haven't checked in in a while. <laughs> what? Right, right. What yeah. do you do? You feel like that is a role she plays for you? Do you feel like it's more of a motherly role or a sisterly role or a friend role? How would you, or obviously a combination of all? But if you were to lean into one, which one do you feel most comfortable with? Um, I mean, I call her mother, um, and I also think sometimes. Um, that relationship is limiting or or our ideas about motherhood or being mothered can be really complicated right um and there's this other dimension too where she is all of the things like she's she's a kind of holographic um how to explain that well it's but but she's she's Jesus's mother, she is also all of our mother. She is also kind of earth mother. Oh, yes. In the way that she shows up for me. Um, so she is all of that and, you know, wants to be sister and friend and guide and all of that as well. And she's Anne's daughter, right? So she's that. Yeah. So again, kind of, kind of like all women, all yeah. people to be, to be faceted that way. Yes. I really like that because one of the things I struggle with too, 
is as I think about goddesses and particularly the goddess for me, sometimes mother comes up a lot. Like there, we have a real parental relationship with the divine. And sometimes that doesn't fit. It feels almost like sister or best friend. But then my sort of very Christian Catholic upbringing comes up and goes, well, God is here. You're here. You can't always be sister. So so that has been sort of almost the masculine divine or the, you know, the masculine tradition of like uh, Lord and servant. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I like I can feel like that mindset doesn't fit with the goddess you know I feel like the goddess feels like you can be more equal like there's more room for equality there um I don't know if that's a feminine a divine feminine thing or if that's just a cultural and social learning that we have to unlearn you know yeah yeah I know exactly what you what you mean um I think, yeah, I think it is a, it is a, a cultural thing because ideally when we're looking at the masculine, we're, we're not just seeing father or leader or, you know, the, the sort of Lord role. We're also seeing brother, son, friend, you yeah. know, we're seeing those other facets too. And we've, we, I think we've forgotten how. Mm, yes been sort of told to forget how to see it that way yeah yeah Yeah, it's a fascinating because I catch myself sometimes I say mother and I once I remember I had sort of a vision um with the goddess and my first reaction is always to like bow or to like get on my knees it's like this idea of very much Mm -hmm. very catholic and there's a couple of times where she's like lifting me up saying like you know stand like what are you doing Um, And then when I think about that afterwards, I'm like, how much of that is ingrained in us? Um, The servitude of it all. And of course, there's a level of respect and honor for the divine. But the servitude, I think, sometimes is is a bit of an indoctrination. Perhaps it's not required in a relationship with the divine in the way that we've been brought up. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you feel that with Mary, where where you don't you don't have to be a servant per se. You can be more of a a friend. I dare say an equal. You know, I don't I don't want to say an equal, but you know what I mean. Like there's a more of a c- compatible relationship there. Yeah, I mean, I um, again, it's it's sort of a both and. I think if um, uh, we have we have waited the humbleness side so much. And for some people, that's the right path. Like some people maybe really need to get on their knees. Mm-hmm. Where at certain points in our lives, we might face a moment where that's exactly the right call. <laughs> and I'm like, I got super full of myself. I need to yes. like, cut the crap and, and get really humble right now. Yes. So sometimes that's the appropriate response. Um, and also, uh, I don't think that we're supposed to perpetually be on our knees. Right. I think there are also moments where um, we're the next step in our spiritual process, the next step in our kind of growth as humans is to get up off our knees and recognize that we are also 
divine, that we are also connected to everything, that we are also creators. Yes. Yes. I love that. I love that. I think I, I love that. I think you've encompassed it so, so well, because um, perhaps that's the path through spirituality. And, and I'm sure that's the way that, you know, as, as a spiritual leader yourself, you know, that's sort of the, the way to guide, you know, where are you on this path? What is it time for you to experience on this path? Mm -hmm. Um, Right. Which, Mm -hmm. which kind of takes me, I guess, to my, to my question of like, how would they implement, how do you advise your people who come to you for advice to implement some of this stuff in your life? What do you, what do you feel is sort of the recommendations that you give or advice? (laughs) You know, every, um, every person is, is in a different place. And a lot of the folks who come to me for, for healing work are dealing with acute trauma that's going to require a different level of tending than people who are in a really good, healthy, stable place and want to go another step further. Um, Some people have a lot of spiritual practice already and have already studied some shamanism and mysticism and some things and are looking for another practice or a new approach or resources. Some people are starting from what, you know, we can say starting from zero. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really varies. And and hopefully I have some skill at asking first and listening to, to where they're at and what they're looking for. Yeah. Um, specific to Mary though, I mean, there are some things in the book that are practices that she has kind of made available. So if, um, you know, if people are curious to kind of cultivate connection with her, um, and again, outside the church, no disparagement to the church intended, but if you're in a different place, um, you know, there's a prayer that she's offered, kind of a mantra, um, which is very simple, and I say it every day, which is Mary of the Roses, teach me love. Just teach me love. And for me, those three words are a life's work, you know, <laughs> she yeah. encompasses so much in that. Yeah. Um, and there are some other things along the way as well. And and I think they're accessible enough that anybody on any path can probably glean something good from them. Yeah, I love that. I, I have not finished your book yet, <laughs> full confession, but I, but I look forward to it um, because I think it's just, it's so relatable to have to have someone on this journey with her that is sharing it like so fluidly maybe is the right word you know um and and so i yeah i really hope that people pick up your book especially if they're interested in in this journey i think that would be really wonderful um and so that kind of leads me to sort of my last question where where what's next for you you know um where do you go from here with your work or, or is there anything next or are you just happy on the path? <laughs> it's such a juicy question. Um, you know, full transparency, I'm kind of sitting with a question mark of it myself and, um, and the, the guidance that I'm receiving is to just kind of pause and, um, you know, honor commitments and be available for folks, but also, to not get too ambitious in this moment, to just kind of let things be. Um, 
and and as a planner and a doer and a list maker like that's a challenge <laughs> but it's a good one um but down the road i do you know there are a bunch of merry journeys that i that i have that are ready to be put into another book and um i'll be traveling a bit this summer that's the plan um and visiting uh some places some churches and um like the laredo chapel and some other spots where i think i might uh get some interesting perspective on mary so there will likely be another book down the road that's really great i was going to ask you about pilgrimages that was going to be my my yeah. you know like are are you planning to do some pilgrimages and so clearly this is uh cuz it's interesting that even for myself the physical traveling and the physical showing up in certain places becomes almost a necessity to continue the relationship. I don't know. Um, I don't know if you feel that way, right? You're called to go almost. Yeah, for sure. And I, you know, um, it seems that where people are focusing on her, it amplifies, kind of amplifies the signal. Uh, yes. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I'm sure in all of your travels everywhere yeah. you come across that too, um, that it's one thing to kind of think about it or have a statue in your house or something like that. And it's something else entirely to be on ground where these prayers have been made and devotions have been made for centuries. Yes. Yes. One of my favorite places that I visited that are, is related to Mary is her house in Ephesus. Uh -huh. and, yeah. And I remember like, you know, they have the prayers in the, on the wall that you write a little letter and you leave there. I don't remember what the prayer I wrote was because it was 10 years mm -hmm. ago. It was probably something to do with my family and my life. Um, but I, you're absolutely right. Like the energy of the space uh, automatically affects you. Um, and for you, especially it will be, I think even more powerful because of your connection. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it's exciting. I can't wait to see what you might experience next. Thank you. Thank you. We'll see. Well, maybe 2024, early 2025, there'll be another book. We'll see. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, thank you. Um, if people want to get in contact with you, I'm going to put all the uh, information in the description, but is there any particular place or um, contact or social media that you might you want to share with us or anything that you might want to share with us that they could be looking into next? Yeah, thanks for that. Um, my website is my name, mickeybeloy.com. Um, and I am on Instagram and Facebook if folks want to find me there. Um, and I do have a mailing list because we know how the algorithms are with <laughs> the, the social media. So mailing list is a very reliable way to make sure that you can stay in touch. Excellent. Well, I'll put all those connections in the description. And, uh, and I look forward to finishing this book and, and your next book. That's thank you. exciting. So thank you so much for joining me. It's so much my pleasure. It's really, really delightful. Thank you, Carla. Thank you. All right. See you later. Okay. <laughs>